School is back in session, investors are back at their desks, and along with them, something else has returned to markets, volatility. Should credit investors be worried, or are today's negative headlines setting up tomorrow's opportunity? There's going to be rating downgrades. There's going to be some defaults. There's going to be some other you know, bumps in the market as we move forward. And it's about looking at the long term. Look beyond where we are right now. The pull to par here, the asset appreciation is huge in this market. And if you can, if you can look at, um, at, at that long term perspective, I think that's where you want to be. That was Adrian Butler, co-head of U.S. High Yield at Barings. And this is Streaming Income, a podcast from Barings. I'm your host, Greg Campion. Coming up on today's show, co-heads of U.S. High Yield, Adrian Butler and Scott Roth, on finding opportunities in high yield amidst today's volatile backdrop. All right, Adrian, Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. It's good to be here. Great to be here. Thanks, Greg. Well, uh, let's let's dive in on high yield bonds and loans, which we're here to talk about today. Um, and maybe let's start, Adrian, with you. Um, you know, and let's address the sort of elephant in the room, which is the the volatility that we've been seeing in markets. Obviously, uh, we've seen a real return to volatility uh, this year, but volatility is something that's not new to either one of you. Um, you've both been managing money through multiple uh, cycles. So Adrian, I guess I'm curious from your perspective, kind of what's been surprising about this recent bout of volatility and then what's maybe been less surprising to you? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to talk about that. I think that is probably the overwhelming headline right now for everybody. And you're right. um, We both have managed money through a variety of cycles and and probably more importantly, the team has managed money through a variety of cycles. So we've got good cohesion on, on, on the team. But to talk about what's going on in the markets today, I think the most interesting thing is the number of things that have played into this cycle. I mean, it started with COVID. Um, that took us to kind of a supply shortage, supply demand and balance, where the consumer then spiked in demand. And um, we had to manage through that. And that that then led us into kind of an inflationary environment. And now we're seeing, you know, rising rate environment and couple that with a Russian-Ukraine war. And you know, we mm-hmm. mix all that up, you've got an interesting brew. Yeah. So all of those factors affect different companies and sectors in, in different ways. So it's it's been an interesting cycle, you know, to, to get your arms around. Mm-hmm. In terms of things that haven't surprised me, I, I think I'd like to look at it more on what's the silver lining here. Mm. Um, coming out of COVID, we've seen so many companies in, in better uh, financial positions than they would have been pre-COVID, right? They've raised a lot of liquidity. They've got uh, runway They've extended maturities. So we've got more companies than I would have thought in good positions um, while we're going through this this cycle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't mind coming back to that because I know that's a an increasing concern for folks, just the idea that we could see the kind of double whammy of uh, an earnings hit at the same time as you're seeing rates go up. And what does that mean for the financing picture for a lot of these companies? So let's come back to that. Um, Scott, maybe one for you, just thinking about actually managing portfolios through this recent environment. What's been the biggest challenge for the team, would you say, uh, so far this year? Well, you're right. There have been a multitude of challenges we've faced this year. I think the biggest one, maybe from my perspective, has been just the interest rate volatility. We're really in an unprecedented era. You have to go all the way back to really 1981 to find 
an inflation level that's comparable to today's. And, you know, really, so we've been in this bond bull market for the better part of four decades. So this is a pretty significant pivot. And historically, high yield has been negatively correlated with rates. So you have a uh, an uprise in the economy, rates move higher, spreads compress. So that's a pretty good outcome for high yield. I think what's different this time is just the sheer volatility of rates. And the reality is spreads just aren't at a level that can buffer you or provide, really insulate the market from this this move that we've seen in rates. So I think from a high yield manager's perspective, we're used to dealing with credit risk, not rate risk. Mm -hmm. If you think about the market structure and how that's changed over time, there's been this real uptearing in quality in the high yield market over the past 15 years. It's now a more double B centric market. Double Bs are over 50% of our market. And there's been really record issuance over the past, you know, call it calendar year 20 and 21. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that's been low coupon, long duration assets, which are highly rate sensitive. So this is an area, fortunately, we've been able to sidestep for the most part, really just because coming out of COVID, we wanted to take really selective credit risk versus rate risk. And that that rate risk component really has underperformed this year. So that's been, I think, you know, a benefit or a creative to to what we've done. I'd say from the analyst perspective, you know, we're coming off a period of record operating margins. And so when you're at these levels, you're always looking around or over your shoulder in terms of what's going to knock these margins off its perch. Mm-hmm. And we've just been surrounded with rising input costs. And I think the analysts have really, their challenge has been really to focus on the verticals, companies that have the ability to pass through these rising costs, and conversely, the the companies that may be more challenged on that front. So from a PM perspective, more the rate file analysts really honing in on on what companies have pricing power. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so you're you're talking about price inflation. Adrian mentioned uh, inflation as well. If you think about how inflation is feeding through to the high-yield market, is it mainly that way? So is it mainly through you know, higher input costs and things like that for the companies that you're following? Or how does inflation pay, play into the whole equation here? Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's definitely on the input cost side um, that, that the companies are, are, are facing, the ability to pass that through. Um, what, what's really interesting about this period is, you know, actually earnings estimates have actually been far more durable than I think a, a lot of people have expected. Um, so earnings estimates for 22 and 23 have really held in there, um, surprisingly so, in the face of what is really negative sentiment. And I think one thing that that needs to be um, factored in is the fact that we've had really strong nominal growth, and earnings are driven in in nominal dollars. And so historically, that's why stocks are viewed as a bit of an inflation hedge. And you look at periods like the 1970s, nominal growth was always positive. And so for for high yield credit, you have revenue, EBITDA, driven in nominal dollars, debt is fixed. And so that's a a pretty decent setup for high yield in terms of the ability to meet their their fixed uh, obligations going forward. And I think, look, I think the the major point here is, is probably, you know, while we're potentially headed to a more difficult economic environment, earnings may be able to hold up better than in, in previous down cycles. Now, the rates, the rate component is, is a big part of all of this, right? And so we're, we've obviously just 
you know, been watching the Fed get more and more uh, hawkish and really stand their ground in terms of uh, forward guidance about continuing on that you know, rate hiking cycle. So it's pretty clear the message that they're trying to send. Um, I guess my question would be for you, Adrian, thinking about loans and CLOs specifically. Uh, we usually think about these asset classes as, I don't know if you would call them hedged to higher rates, but they're floating rate asset classes. So you usually see more interest in these asset classes in periods of rising rates. Is that the case this time around? And kind of curious to see, you know, what you're seeing out there in terms of the dynamics in the CLO and loan market right now. Yeah, no, I, I think you bring up a really good point um, when we talk about the loan market. It is seen as a bit of a hedge in an inflationary market because so much of the the yield component is derived from the base rate, which is a floating component, right? Mm-hmm. So loans are a floating product, and and oftentimes people gravitate to that in, in times like this. Um, in, in addition, I think what we're seeing right now is really nice returns for, for loans. If you look at single B new issuance right now, the all-in yield is about 8%. That's 300 basis points above where we were just a year ago. Mm. So it's a nice total return right now for, for investors. And then to, to couple that with the fact that we've got security and collateral, which really kind of protects you on the downside there, loans are an interesting place to be right now, mm. in, in, in my opinion. You know, have we seen the flows yet in, into the loan market? Not, not yet, um, which is interesting, but we're at the beginning of a cycle, and at the beginning of the cycle, usually there's a flight to cash, a flight to, to quality, to stability, mm-hmm. um, and then oftentimes people kind of take a little bit of a wait-and-see attitude to make sure they, they know where they're going, but um, the opportunity, I think, in loans and CLOs are really unique right now because we're in that market, because it's a little bit inefficient right now, um, there is an opportunity to, to get into that loan market in CLOs. Um, have we seen the CLO demand? Not yet. Um, we've seen some of it. We've been pretty successful downstairs in being able to issue CLOs this year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that's that's really limited. And, and the reason being is very technical. Mm. Um, right now in the CLO market, so much of that is driven by the AAA demand for CLO tranches. AAA demand is really driven by large banks. The large banks are really taking into consideration their asset allocation right now and and as a result of a lot of big buying they did in AAAs last year, they pulled back. Mm. It's not so much a, a mandate on credit as it is just an asset allocation mm-hmm. issue. So mm-hmm. there is a technical in the market which is slowing down CLO issuance. Um, year to date, we're about $20 billion off of where we were last year in terms of CLO issuance. And if you look at the month of August, um, we're about half of where we were last year. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there is a significant slowdown in CLO demand. Why is that important and how does that play into loans and why is this an interesting time to be in loans? Because the CLO market is about 70% of the buyer base for loans. And when the CLOs are not creating new vehicles, the demand for loans will then be decreased. So you then see a little bit of an air pocket. Mm. So for folks who can get into the market now who are looking at the loan product, who are issuing CLOs, there's an opportunity to really pick up loans at a nice discount. And I think that total return is something in in loans that is super attractive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Adrian, what do you think changes that CLO dynamic? So I know you mentioned, and I know your team's been really busy, so I'm I'm actually kind of curious to understand how you've been kind of bucking the trend, so to speak, uh, there. But I'm curious, what do you think needs to change there to um, you know, see some of these banks and others come back into uh, the CLO market and, and drive demand for new CLOs to be created. 
Yeah, it, it, it's. I, I think it's just really a function of time right now, um, and potentially new buyers coming into the market to help create the CLOs. Um, are the larger managers able to issue? Yeah, I mean, large managers with a liquid following, um, we're able to go out in the market, and we're not the only manager who's been able to get out there. We have had a busy year this year. Um, we like these markets when there's dislocation in the market. When I can pick up loans at a discount and use our credit shops to really create a, uh, an interesting product, that's when we want to be in the market. So I, I find this market very attractive, and there's other managers like us who are, um, you know, excited by this market, but. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a function of time. Eventually, the, the banks will, will deal with what their asset allocations issues are, what their risk-based capital issues are, and um, they'll be back in the market as well. The CELO product and CELO tranches have always been an interesting place for um, mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. kind of large investors. Yeah, that'll be great to watch. What's, what's interesting or notable in, in loans this year is, is the, the coupon, so the base rate, has actually exceeded that in the in the bond market for the first time in history. So it's been a function of the increased base rate coupled with what I talked about earlier on the bond side where you've had a lot of double B issuance, lower coupons. So that actually inflected in July. And as we looked at performance, really through the you know first part of this year, actually through the middle of May, loans significantly outperformed any other asset class. And I think investors sort of looked around and as as liquidity became a premium in the market, loans were the easy asset class to sell just because they've held in there the best. And so we saw that sort of technical dynamic take hold. But if again, if you think inflation is going to be more persistent, that base rate, that that floating rate coupon is is pretty attractive. Speaking of kind of supply demand dynamics, let's uh, let's let's shift to the bond side, Scott. Interested to see, you know, what what some of the factors are, I guess, that you're watching most closely that are influencing um, high yield bonds at the moment. Right. So the technicals obviously play a, a big part in terms of you know the direction of play for bonds. And despite the outflow activity that we've seen on a year to day basis, there's been some real offsetting factors. Um, Again, there hasn't been the supply component that we've expected. Supply is running at just de minimis levels. Um, we have to deal with a, a little bit of a surge here coming into the fall period. But for the most part, supply has been a, a technical tailwind for the market. Um, and so, again, despite outflows, we've also seen a lot of corporate actions, so calls, tenders. Um, rising stars have been another big proponent where those dollars are, are leaving or those, those credits are leaving the high-yield market, but those dollars will circulate back into the, the high-yield market. So net-net, technicals have been a positive year-to-date. Again, you're always coming to a, a little bit of a tenuous period here in September and October in the market. There's, you know, the street has basically, you know, a committed backlog of, of roughly $65 billion that they want to place uh, by year-end. That's loans and bonds, and I think that split is roughly maybe 40 billion loans, you know, 25 or so on the bond side. And, and they can toggle back and forth a little bit depending on um, market demand. But that's sort of what we're facing. And there are some, what I would characterize as sort of late cycle LBOs here, a handful that need to clear the market. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, it will be interesting to see where risk clears here ultimately. Um, but once you get past this sort of surge here, if you will, I think there's not really a calendar to speak of. And that could lead to a very positive technical setup for really the balance of the year. Do you expect that CFOs out there are looking at the financing environment and coming back to take advantage of rates where they are right now with the anticipation that they go higher? Or or do you think that, that companies have kind of 
already got themselves in pretty good position over the last couple of years. Yeah, clearly financing rates are more restrictive today than they have been in in quite some time. I think that does give CFOs a bit of a pause here. And um, as we talk to our capital markets folks, you know, we recognize that a lot of financing has taken place in, in the past couple of years. And so that runway has been cleared. And so really, unless you've made some sort of strategic acquisition that you have to come to the market, um, you know, that opportunistic financing, I think, you know, CFOs are going to look for windows to, to tap the market. And I don't think they feel compelled at all right now to, uh, to access the market. And quite frankly, most of what needs to be financed over the course of really 22, 23, 24 are, are higher quality companies. And so those companies always have access to the capital market. So we don't see that, you know, being a problem. But again, I think CFOs have the mindset that they're they're going to be opportunistic here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. I, I, I don't think that any of the CFOs are going to want to go into the market that we're in right now. It's mm. um, unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And I, I think uh, now is not the time. And, and to Scott's point and what we mentioned earlier, uh, they've raised a lot of capital. They've got a long runway. Now, you mentioned the improved quality of the market. I'm interested to hear a little bit more about that because I know we've seen a number of um, kind of rising stars, as you mentioned. We've seen some, you know, over the last few years, some energy defaults. So some credits have come out of the index. So tell me about a little bit more about the how you're viewing that quality of the high-yield bond index today and whether kind of historical comparisons on whatever measure you want to look at, so credit spreads, et cetera, are appropriate or less appropriate given the quality of the market today? You're right. That's that's a great question. And I think just to start with, I, I don't think you can compare spread levels today versus other periods because of that market quality configuration that exists in the market. I mean, you have to make an adjustment for that. And so as we think about spread levels, you always have to do a little bit of a, a recalculation on that. And so if you think about where we were, you know, post, you know, GFC, we've seen double Bs increase by about 1,500 basis points in the market. So it's it's a pretty material part of our market, and it's a function of a lot of things. It was, as you pointed out, the commodity crisis, which was a bit of a rent cycle that we went through where a lot of the bad actors went through a restructuring process. And then you had the COVID where you had a lot of fallen angels come into our marketplace and really increase the quality and in, in really in one fell swoop. And again, the agencies were a bit preemptive in in taking companies down. As you saw, the earnings recovery happened really, really fast. And so a lot of these companies ended up in our universe, yet they were already performing really well by the end of 2020. And so we do think there's a migration that's been been in process, it's taking place, these rising stars. But we think overall, um, we haven't had these long periods of economic runway, if you will. We've sort of been, you know, stop, start, stop, start. That creates a situation where there's not a lot of time that's elapsed that create a lot of excess in one particular vertical. Like we saw with the energy crisis before that, there was a lot of mel investment in TMT, things of that nature. So again, we think that the construct for the market today is, is really different and really high quality versus previous periods. Makes a lot of sense. Um, Okay, so I want to ask you both about opportunities. And I know it's probably not the type of market, uh, or maybe it's never the type of market where you can make really 
big, broad brush statements about buy this asset class, sell that asset class, that sort of thing. But as you look at the landscape today, and as you look at all the factors that we've been discussing so far, I'm curious to to get your opinion on if there are pockets of opportunity you're seeing today. Maybe some are in less obvious places. I don't know, but um, it, that would be interesting to hear about. Yeah, sure. I, I you know, you, you 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 said it right. When you're in markets like this, people want to gravitate to something more stable, and that's usually in, in this market would be non-cyclical, non-discretionary kind of markets, and and you see um, you know a strong desire to head into something like a healthcare um, sector. But I think we've seen opportunities, and Scott alluded to this earlier, in certain pockets and in certain industries where they've been able to pass on those higher costs. Um, we've seen certain names in our chemical sector, some, some in our paper and packaging sector, where they have the ability to pass on additional costs. Um, that's a function of being able to communicate with management teams, have the experience to understand the contracts that are in place with all of these types of issuers, and find those opportunities, those names who have been able to survive in a market like this to not only survive but perhaps flourish in an inflationary environment. So um, I think those have been surprising areas to to find opportunity. Uh, additionally, um, in the CLO market, uh, as you might be aware, in 2.0 CLOs, we now have a bond bucket, and and we can we haven't really used it much. But in this market, where we're seeing bonds at, at depressed price levels, and I can pick up bonds at you know, 85 cents on the dollar, and know that there's that big pull to par, that there's that par appreciation that I can recognize within a CLO, that's been a really interesting place for us to to play. I know. Um, you know, typically people saw that bucket as something that might be used because it, it has some enhanced spread to it. But I think in our case, we see that as a huge pull to par um, opportunity. And it's something that we've used across all of our CLO platform, um, you know, post downturn. Interesting. Um, what, what, what type of allocation is that bond bucket usually? Well, it's usually about a, about a 5% bucket, maybe maybe slightly more in some cases. Right now, we've only used about a 1% position. Um, we're legging into it. You don't want to go in too far. We've, we've seen folks who went in too early, and um, you know, prices have dropped on them. So we're trying to be judicious in our use of the bucket. But um, it can be very meaningful to pick up discount like that in a, in a, in a uh, closed-end product like CLOs. Yeah, that was a really good trade, I, I think, that, that we put on earlier. Again, late second quarter when that there was a dynamic where double Bs were selling off you know, just as hard as lower parts of the market here. And that really created a, a real discount in the market for total return bonds, for CLOs. And that was a really good opportunity. Now, I think what's what's changed a little bit is we've seen a, a run in high yield and there's been a huge compression move in, in double Bs to triple Bs. And so we were at one point, you know, over 200 basis points, double Bs to triple Bs, that's compressed inside of 100 basis points. So that mm. total return component for double Bs over the past two months has been about 4% versus triple Bs has been about 80 basis points. Mm. So so in, in, non, in sort of atypical fashion, we've actually been buying some triple Bs now, selling some of our double Bs, buying triple Bs that are at spreads north of, of 300 basis points. And so this is the first time since I've been you know managing high yield money that we've had such a allocation to um, really sort of a non-conventional component of, uh, of bonds. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've, we've been able to do that. That's been sort of an interesting trade recently for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's pretty awesome being able to work with the team because, you know, a lot of the bonds that we bought in the CLOs, that's, that's not what we traditionally do. Mm. We could leverage off the team. They were bonds that they were already owning, that they knew the stories behind, that, you know, really sleep at night kind of credits. And it was 
really nice to have that that yeah. kind of um, collaboration. That is nice to have that built-in expertise to mm-hmm. leverage. Um, what else looks interesting? Um, I know that the, you and the team have been looking at some stuff uh, maybe in Europe, given uh, the different dynamics with Russia, Ukraine, everything else. Uh, what do you see in there? Yeah, there's, there's a few things that I think we find interesting right now. I think you look at yield curves in the market. For the high-yield market, it's, it's pretty flat. Um, you look at the treasury curve, it's it's highly inverted. So I think there's some opportunities within capital structures in the high-yield market. Um, I think a broad theme that we've sort of been deploying across our portfolios is really this overweight to services relative to consumer durables. Consumer, consumer durable demand really you know went vertical during COVID as there was this fiscal stimulus, really this money drop. And so you've seen consumer durable demand well above trend line, services demand collapse during COVID. And so we think there is a bit of a reversion to the mean that's taking place on, on both of those fronts. And so that's, you know, we're trying to take advantage of that across portfolios to the extent we can. You mentioned Europe and really our global portfolios. I would say, you know, we, we, we own a number of global companies, so they're able to finance in, in multiple currencies. Mm-hmm. U.S. dollar, euro, sterling, and given some of the technicals and liquidity across markets, we found opportunities to swap our USD-denominated debt into euro, sterling, pick up incremental spread, and really hedge the the currency back into the the base currency of the portfolio. So you're not taking any FX risk there, and so that's been something we, again, deploy you know from time to time based upon market conditions. And I would just say, looking forward, you're right, Europe could be a, a source of an opportunity as we come through the, the end of the year here, given the energy crisis that has really unfolded there. Our team has been involved in that market for literally decades. And again, that market can get you know highly technical and dislocated. It did during the sovereign debt crisis. And that was a really great opportunity for our portfolios. Um, we went overweight Europe. That played out really well for us. So we're looking at this. You know, the European market is wide of ours right now on a spread basis. That's not uncommon, but it is a, a higher quality market versus the U.S. It's more double B centric, mm-hmm. and you know, their, their commitment to finance triple C's is is very low. So, mm-hmm. and it's also a market that's been you know has a really good history of operating in a low growth environment. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Again, that's a market that we will look to take advantage of, you know, if if there is further dislocation. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, that's a good reminder. Just on low growth in general, I feel like high yield is, uh, and you guys probably know the stats much better than me, but I think high yield has always done pretty well in low growth environments. Uh, and you have a uh, an asset class that, you know, offers income. Uh, and as long as you can avoid defaults, you can still do okay, sort of coupon clipping, for lack of a better word. Um, in the asset class. Yeah, you have yields north of 8% right now. That's pretty attractive. And we've seen periods really over, the, as you pointed out, over the last decade where GDP growth has been really de minimis, but that's almost a bit of a Goldilocks environment for for credit. And given, again, given the construct between Europe and the U.S., both pretty high-quality markets um, and the uptearing that's taken place there, that that's a, a, a pretty decent place to hang out. Yeah, interesting to hear how some of the opportunities are really varied. Um, I think it's a good reminder too, as well, that the you know you look across high yield, it's a pretty 
broad and deep uh, asset class when you consider loans and bonds and across the U.S. and Europe and include COOs and uh, different parts of the rating spectrum. So it is interesting to hear about just how some of the different market technicals especially are um, maybe opening up some opportunities in, in places that might be less um, obvious. Um, I guess the flip side of that coin is, you know, what, what some of the big areas of risk are, right, and some of the big challenges. So we discussed up front, um, we talked about inflation, talked a little bit about rising rates. But, um, you know, maybe as you think about that, um, I guess, Scott, curious, are there, are there any things that are out there that are kind of keep at night, keep you up at night sort of uh, risks uh, out there today? Well, we've been, there's a lot of risks that have been thrown at us this year. So mm-hmm. you really have had to keep your, your head on a swivel. I think most of the most prominent risks that exist right now are pretty well known by the market. You think about, you know, the energy crisis unfolding in Europe partly as a result of certainly the the Ukraine-Russia conflict. So that's sort of all rolled up together. And, you know, there's certainly downside scenarios you can you can paint there. But again, those risks are, are pretty well known right now. You think of China, GDP growth there has been underwhelming. Mm-hmm. The amount of stimulus has underwhelmed expectations as well as the, the property market is really collapsed over there. And then you have the the COVID suppression policies they've implemented that, again, so demand there is probably um, hasn't met expectations. But on the flip side, you're you're probably at the point where that could potentially inflect um, to the positive. And then you have the Fed, you have inflation. Um, So, again, I think the market has their arms around many of these risks. I think we're always trying to think of what is not being contemplated in the market or where there is some level of complacency. And maybe that that's, you know, quantitative tightening. As QT ramps up in, in the coming months here, um, that's, you know, our markets, our financial markets are ever so complex. And you always think about, you know, the impact on liquidity. And so that's something that we're, we're focused on. And even the energy markets, the natural gas markets are very tight, obviously what's going on in, in Europe. But the, the, the oil market is physically tight as well. And that market has to deal with a couple specific situations as we come through 2022. One is the SPR. We've been drawing down reserves in the Strategic Petroleum Reserve um, over the course of this year. That is expected to run off in the fourth quarter. So that, that's been a, a mechanism to help balance the market. And then you have essentially the European oil embargo of of Russian barrels, 2.0, if you will, that's set for December. And we'll see how the European countries ultimately address that. But those are, mm-hmm. you know, a couple areas that, you know, in a market that's very delicately balanced mm. could swing it one way or the other. And so that, that again, we've benefited over the past several weeks, lower gasoline prices, um, but those are a couple potential headwinds that that market will need to face. Okay, okay. So a lot of stuff to keep our eye on there. Um, you know, I think your point is a good one around, you know, maybe a lot of these are maybe factored in to some degree, uh, at least some of the big headline risks, um, but some of the other ones that you point out that maybe are less obvious or could be kind of flashpoints uh, for the remainder of this year into next year where, where things can, can change. Um, that was a pretty good list, Adrian. I don't know if there's anything else. Hopefully there's not anything else beside that that's keeping you up at night, but anything else you would add to uh, that I think list? Scott's got the world under under control here and the <laughs> geopolitical um, issues. I, you know, I think the only thing you'd, you'd add to that is, you know, from our perspective is you'd then have to go a little bit to the micro. Mm. And, 
you know, where is leverage? Um, where is leverage for every company? And when you're seeing rates rising, you've got to be able to do that sensitivity analysis. You cannot, you know, disregard the fact that we have a lot of companies who came into this with with some significant leverage, and we need to pay attention to that. So I think that's that's always a consideration. Um, the other piece that I throw into that is is looking at forward guidance, making sure that we're paying attention to what companies are telling us, because you can you can look at these large factors, but then you've got to take it down to the individual investment and what's happening at the uh, you know at the company level. And so I I don't have much to add, but I, I think those are two points to, yeah. to consider. Yeah, really good point. Um, okay, well as we land this ship here, I want to ask you both to to maybe zoom out a little bit. So we've been talking a lot about what's going on currently in the market. Um, a lot of the opportunities, a lot of the risks, uh, that sort of thing. But maybe if we zoom out, and I think your team has always done a really nice job of looking at things from more of a longer-term perspective um, and, and working with our clients to, to think about their allocations over a long-term perspective. So curious, uh, maybe Adrian, start with you. As you're having those client conversations today, um, what are some of the things that you're you're talking to clients about it with regards to managing their um, allocations in this part of the market? I, I think you're right. The, the focus is on the long term, and it should be on the long term. And we would advise clients not to pay attention to a lot of the noise that we're hearing right now. There's going to be rating downgrades. There's going to be some defaults. There's going to be some other you know bumps in the market as we move forward. And it's about looking at the long term. Um, not afraid when I'm managing a CLO or when you're managing a loan portfolio to say, hey, there's there's downgrades. Yeah, it's about picking the right credits. It's about being able to manage through that. It's being able to make the decisions of when to buy, when to sell, when to hold, having the team that's there to to make those right decisions. So, um, you know, we've always said, and if you look at, you know, the, the great financial crisis, look beyond where we are right now. The pull to par here, the asset appreciation is huge in this market. And if you can, if you can look at, um, at, at that long-term perspective, I think that's where you want to be. Yeah. Makes sense. Scott, we're going to give you the last word. Same question. Well, look, you know, spreads have been pretty compressed, you know, recently. And I think as we have discussions with our clients, they're always looking to be opportunistic and buy the market when spreads back up. And that's easier said than done. It gets very emotional. And again, our dialogue with with clients has been, you know, around different spread breakpoints and doing some analysis um, and, and thinking about lagging in over time and, and trying to be opportunistic as the market sells off. And you might not catch the, the exact whys. I mean, when, when spreads are 600 basis points, investors always want, want to buy it at 800 basis mm-hmm. points. And we understand that. And the problem is those can be really tight windows. And you can miss the bulk of the outperformance if, if you're not involved in the market and then you end up trying to chase the market. And so we're just trying to encourage clients here as spreads back up. We're right around, you know, 500 basis points in our market. Um, I think clients need to understand there is a lot of capital on the sidelines. So this, you know, drawdown capital, if you will, that is looking to come into the market at different spread levels. And it was very evident last month when spreads blew out to 600 over that there was a pretty immediate reaction in the market. Mm-hmm. And a lot of money came into the market, bought it, spreads collapsed pretty quickly. And so, um, and I think a lot of investors were sitting on the sidelines thinking, well, I, I, I wish I you know, would have had that opportunity mm-hmm. again. And I think mm-hmm. it's just, you got to be patient and let the market come to you. And, but, but don't try to top tick this. Um, 
And again, when you get to 600 basis points over, um, on a historical basis, that is a really good time to deploy money. Mm -hmm. The forward mm -hmm. returns on that over a one, two, three year period are, are just about double digits annually. So I think just putting that in context, understanding that there is capital elsewhere that's gonna come into the market, and, and not try to get too cute with it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great great reminder that looking back at uh, history, you know, um, some of the periods of volatility have offer, offered some of the best um, times for opportunity um, in, in the market. So that's great perspective. I appreciate both of your perspective. I think you have a tremendous amount to offer here, just given uh, all your experience in this market and your, your views on bonds and loans and CLOs and everything else. So I appreciate you taking some time with me today. I hope this has been valuable for our investors. I've certainly learned a lot and uh, I hope they have too. So thank you both. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for the discussion today. Thanks, Ray. Thanks for listening to episode number one of season seven of Streaming Income. If you'd like to stay up to date on our latest thoughts on asset classes ranging from high yield and private credit to real estate and emerging markets, make sure to follow us and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. We publish a new episode every other week. And if you have specific feedback, you can email us at podcast at bearings.com. That's podcast at B-A-R-I-N-G-S.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.